Olá, pessoal. Tudo bem? And welcome to the Brazil Crypto Report podcast, where we talk to the builders, entrepreneurs, and influencers from across the Brazil crypto ecosystem. I'm your host, Aaron Stanley, and today I'm joined by Axel Blickstad of BLP Crypto, one of Brazil's oldest digital asset managers. Today, we're going to discuss the events of the last couple of weeks that have rattled the markets and also what this means for the Brazil crypto market specifically, and also how Axel and BLP were able to survive the collapse of FTX. Yeah, yeah, Axel, tudo bem? Tudo joia, It's great to, to be with you and have this opportunity to discuss uh, these last few weeks and what we have been doing for the last uh, five plus years. Amazing. Thanks for joining. Um, so to get started, why don't you tell us a bit of, give us a bit of background about uh, yourself and then also BLP Crypto. Perfect. So uh, before uh, coming to BLP, I was uh, 24 years in the traditional finance in finance uh, industry. Uh, started working in Amsterdam. After doing my degrees, uh, economics uh, uh, degrees in, in the States, I moved to Amsterdam in Holland, worked there for a couple of years at Indian Amro, moved to Brazil in 94 uh, to work at Banco Garantia, was the biggest investment bank in Brazil at the time, which was later bought by Credit Suisse. I uh, was there for uh, nine years and then another six years at Santander in here in Brazil. And then another seven years at uh, BTG uh, Pactual, uh, running the treasury department, the uh, asset liability management, uh, the treasury there uh, until uh, 2015 when I tried to leave the bank. But then uh, uh, Andres Davis uh, said, no, you're not leaving. We're going to resolve your, your what you were not too happy with at the end of the year. But then BTG had its issues in the end of 2015. Uh, so I was able to leave only in uh, April. Actually, it was April Fool's Day, 2016. Uh, when I left the, the bank, I didn't know what I was going to do. I had a six-month uh, non-compete. I just went home and uh, had a sort of a, a sabbatical, which lasted about a week. Uh, within this first week uh, that I was off, uh, uh, left BTG, uh, basically, I started hearing about uh, Bitcoin and blockchain. I had heard it before in 2013, but I was working in the bank. I had no time to look at it. What what this what was this thing? It was something interesting or not? But now I had you know six months to to study it. And within the, uh, the following month, I actually went to New York uh, for a couple of days. It was my wife's uh, birthday, and so let's spend a couple of days in New York. And in New York, I had a, uh, a lunch with a couple of friends uh, from that used to work with me at Banco Garantia. And one of them runs a very large uh, family office in New York, a 15 million plus uh, family office. And he said, well, if you're looking into, and I mentioned I'm looking into blockchain and, and Bitcoin. And he said, well, you got to meet this guy. So I met uh, uh, this guy that he introduced me to on a late Friday night and I uh, had a 20 minute meeting with him. And I just was flabbergasted by what he was saying. So I think, you know, and, and how, how little I knew about the space, but it opened my, my curiosity when I got back to Brazil, I started studying it and I realized that, you know, there is something big here. There's something very big here. This could be even bigger than the internet. And then I looked back in my career and I saw the big IPOs and, and the traditional finance, you know, uh, Amazon, Facebook, all these uh, Googles, all these. And I never made a single cent because I didn't know if these were, you know, good companies, bad companies. I didn't know how to analyze tech or anything like that. Uh, but then I said, you know, this this could be even more transformational than than, than that web that we uh, experienced. So let's study it. And I said, this this train I'm gonna board. I don't know if it's gonna derail or not, but I'm gonna board this train. So then I started basically uh, buying some coins for myself on PA uh, during the sabbatical period, and I was telling a lot of my friends what I was doing, and uh, some of them got excited. And in 2017, beginning of 2017. They said, why don't we open the first you know, crypto fund uh, in Brazil? And I found it was a little bit too early, but around mid-17, the first funds in the U.S. were starting. You had already Pantera, of course. Uh, you had Polychain Capital just uh, launching. So it was very still nascent, even in the U.S., You know, the whole fund space for, for crypto assets. But uh, I said, let's think about it. And around mid-2017, mid we said, let's, let's, let's do this fund. It took us six months. Uh, uh, to 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 get it uh, uh, all the onboarding process done, so we had to find an auditor, find an administrator. There was nothing, right? It was it, it was quite tough. And being the first ones in Brazil, being pioneers in Brazil, we had to explain to the CDM, you know, our local regulators, what was what was this whole thing about? Anyway, uh, we launched in uh, uh, in January uh, 2018, so <laughs> not a very good time. After you know the big 
second uh, uh, semester that the OBTC went up almost 20 fold within uh, uh, the, the 2017 period. But we said, let's launch anyway, because this is a long-term bet. And we're not afraid you know, of market volatility. We know how to handle uh, volatility. And let's just go for it. And this is, uh, um, we're completing five years now in the, in the end of this, uh, uh, and this, December 31st, we complete five years of uh, track record running the offshore fund and three feet of funds in Brazil. Amazing, amazing. Well, it's quite a quite a track record, and uh, congratulations on the five year anniversary. I mean, that's that's longer than most crypto funds make it. So <laughs> nicely done. Um, so, you. so I mean, as we're recording this, I mean, we're really about we're kind of about two weeks removed from the FTX collapse, and um, it's been a pretty rough couple of weeks. Uh, there's frankly not a whole lot of positive sentiment out there, and things seem to be kind of getting worse every day. I guess just to be blunt about it, but. So Axel, I'm wondering, how are you kind of processing everything that's going on here? Obviously, like you just mentioned, you're no stranger to volatility. You've been in kind of TradFi circles for a long time. You've, you've kind of seen all this stuff before in different iterations, right? There's nothing new under the sun. Um, you know, how are you kind of processing just everything that's been happening the last couple of weeks? Perfect. So uh, it's uh, I think the 2018 you know, crypto winter experience was good for us because we tested all our systems, we tested everything. You know what we're all the inherent risk in the ecosystem, and one of the things that we're only super worried about is you know is counterparty risk in this ecosystem because it's still wild west, right? It's an unregulated uh, uh, ecosystem. You know, in the US you have your few regulated uh, entities, but in general it's an unregulated uh, market. And that means uh, whoever trades, you know, funds of individual, retail, institutional, you just gotta to take a lot, pay a lot of attention to who you're trading with, and not just who you're trading with, but where are you leaving your assets? You know, the famous uh, saying, you know, "Not your keys, not your coins." From Andreas Antonopoulos, one of one of the first books I read back in the uh, couple of years before I started open, doing the fund, you know, is to learn, you know, uh, how to take care of the assets. And clearly, this whole FTX debacle, nobody would have had would have imagined, you know, that FTX was, you know, uh, second, third largest uh, in volumes that they could collapse, you know, so so quickly, you know, uh, by one uh, Coindesk article, which then suddenly on on November six became one tweet from CZ Finance uh, Finance's founder that he was going to sell some FTT in the market. And then within three days, you know, a complete collapse of this huge counterparty to a lot of uh, players. Uh, one thing is that this doesn't, it didn't happen in three days. You know, this is something that has been building over, for almost a year. And it goes back all the way to when uh, all these large uh, hedge funds, prop desks like Trieras Capital, uh, Alameda Research, we're doing, you know, this arb of uh, GPTC that was trading with lots of premium, you know, over uh, the real Bitcoin, and they were doing that arb that they would, you know, send Bitcoin, uh, get the GPTC with a premium, hold it for six months, and then sell it and sort of get this free, uh, free uh, premium, which suddenly, you know, with uh, a risk-off movement you know, that started in the end of uh, 2021. 20, uh, with uh, with Powell, you know, signaling that he was worried about inflation and that uh, he would have to start raising rates and so on, we start seeing a uh, risk off market sentiment across the board, which I think started actually with, with equities and uh, crypto. Of course, it's still a risk asset, still being tested. You know, it's not yet a safe haven. Bitcoin is not yet a safe haven, and maybe a safe haven in the future. That's that's our bet. As he started putting pressure to the market, we started seeing retail selling. GBTC, GBTC is a closed-end fund, so it from a, it went from a premium to uh, uh, to flat and then to a, a big discount, and this created lots of unwinding of positions. And these guys were already so 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 over leveraged, and they were doubling down, doubling down until they exploded. Right, so then you had the three hours implosion in uh, around May this year. You had the uh, Celsius for other reasons, not specifically to that, but then there was like mismatch of, of their landing uh, a book with uh, with uh, Ethereum being staked for, you know, and not be able to to redeem uh, clients one when they requested. And then you had also the issues with BlockFi and so on. And now you have the issues, you know, with Genesis maybe being the last one, big one uh, out there. So this is something that has been sort of piling up 
through time. It didn't happen overnight. And then, of course, the facts that we have uh, uh, recently heard from, from the, the filing uh, of FTX uh, Chapter 11 bankruptcy are just absolutely shocking and horrendous. You know, all this you know, lending from Alameda, personal loans to, to Sam Bankman Freed, and so on, uh, and to these other employees, you know, this using of funds. I don't think the market expected this at all. You know, we had so many of the top, you know, VCs investing in FTX. You know, you had the, the sequoias uh, of the world. You had amazing, you know, entire future pensions uh, fund from Canada, one of the most uh, famous you know, pension fund investors of the world. You know, investing uh, in these guys. You thought that you know a series of diligence had been done. Or maybe it was done, but that no. It, Everything was done so SBF clearly, you know, uh, is a fraudulent guy that was, you know, just doing crazy stuff with under the radar, all sort of back doors that it was probably very hard to, to catch. And this got, you know, a lot of uh, people uh, are losing uh, funds, equity, you know, uh, assets that they had stuck there, and so on and so on. But it's something that has been going on for, for at least a number of months, but uh, couldn't that then suddenly. Uh, everything, you know, all the cards uh, fell uh, very, very quickly. Yeah, and I think the, the question around SBF and his kind of charisma, if you will, or I don't even find him that charismatic, but people just followed this guy and they they wanted to be attached to him. And I think there was a degree of like fear of missing out. And that's why you had all these people kind of piling in that would maybe not otherwise. I'm also like pretty confident. And I've heard from a lot of people like friends, I know that are like pretty close to the situation that the books that were shown to these, these investors, Tom Brady or whoever, or Giselle Bunch, you know, these, like these people aren't just like willy nilly investing in random things. They have very seasoned investment advisors who are going to like do every, you know, go through every line of due diligence before they recommend, you know, an investment. I, I can say with reasonable confidence that like, I mean, I think there was an Enron style, like just multiple different, like two sets of books being kept here. Because when you, you look at the new revelations that they actually lost $3.7 billion in 2021. And when when they were, I mean, that's not what was reported before. I mean, we were all being told that Alameda had made like a billion and that FTX had made something like 400 million. And, you know, going from 400 million to losing three and a half, three and a half billion is like a pretty big and that's Crazy. in a bull market. Like you're lo you're losing 3.7 billion dollars in a bull market, right? Like I can understand it for this market, but in a bull market, that's even crazier. It's super sad, and it's clearly a step back to the whole industry. Uh, I think how we are looking at it, you know, going forward, you know, uh, it's it's better that these blows happen happens earlier rather than later when they're even bigger, right? Uh, it's better that you. You know, get a less leverage market because leverage. I think nobody, nobody believed how much leverage was. I think Mike Novogratz says this a few times from, from Galaxy Digital. You know, not even he could believe. You know, the type of amounts of of leverage that was in the system when Voyager blew up and and, mm -hmm. and Three Arrows Capital blew up and and all these guys. And at the time, it seems that you know, uh, SBF, he was the savior, right? He was bailing out everybody. I'm, uh, I'll buy uh, BlockFi. You know, I'll buy, uh, I'll bid for Voyager and so on, and so on. So he seems to, be, he seemed to be the nice guy, but in the end of the day, he was just lying to everybody. He was in the, as much trouble, and he was basically doubling down, tripling down, quadrupling down with, with clients' uh, money, which is absolutely absurd. So uh, I'm very curious, you know, how the courts will take this if he gets extradited to the U.S. If he goes to jail or not? I mean, he should, <laughs> uh, because it, it's obvious that this fraudulent practices here. You know, according to uh, the liquidator, there was the same one that, that uh, uh, liquidated that. And Ronnie said, you know, I've never seen anything like this in my 40-year career. So so the next chapters will be very interesting of, you know, uh, how what happens, you know, uh, on, on this whole, not just SBF, but the whole inner circle of FTX, which is a handful of people, you know. Uh, yeah, and that's the broader... That's the broader question here is, is you, you end up getting to the, you know, kind of the blame game, right? Where, you know, I think a lot of these inner circle guys are, you know, I mean, a lot of these guys are pretty young, right? You look at guys like Sam Trabuco, who was, I mean, this guy wasn't even like 30 years old and he kind of mysteriously quit back in August and, you know, and, and, and SBF's girlfriend or Caroline and like these people, like they're not, 
it's like these aren't these don't seem like the type of people that are going to have this fierce loyalty to Sam. Like they're just going to cut deals, right? With prosecute. We'll tell you everything you know. Just, you know, Sam told us to do it. We'll tell you everything we know. And we're going to get some pretty shocking revelations out of that, I think. For sure. Who who is an SBF ally at this point? Like who wants to be who wants to be seen protecting him publicly, you know? But anyway, so you had a bit of a, a brush up with FTX as well that has been, you know, reported a bit in the in some of the, the Brazilian press. But wanted to give you a chance to kind of talk about your experience in English here. And it sounds like you had some exposure to FTT and you had some assets on FTX and you kind of basically, you know, got out just in time, essentially, uh, before the door yeah. closed. But um, why don't you kind of walk us through what happened there? Sure. So I think, I mean, at the end of the day, we can call ourselves lucky, but not happy, right? We're very upset with the whole instance. But basically, uh, this is a this is a, a crazy market because it's a 24-7, 365 market, right? So uh, what happened? How, how did we act? You know, basically, I woke up uh, by, by mistake or not mistake. I just woke up early on, on Sunday, November 6th. And the first thing I, you know, I always do is I just look at Twitter and see, you know, if there's anything came out. And then something stood out it was the CZ uh, tweet that, you know, I have, five, I have 500 million uh, FTTs that I'm not uh, comfortable with uh, uh, after the Coindesk article, and uh, uh, I intend to sell them. Once I saw this uh, on our 7.30-ish Brazil time, I think it was uh, on Sunday, uh, I watched up my, uh, my investment committee. It's composed of four, uh, myself plus three other members. And said, let's get let's let's get into a call as soon as you guys see this. About I think it was 9 30-ish, 9, 9 30-ish. Uh, they called me up and we talked. So look, guys, this this doesn't smell good. And at the time we had uh, about 2.1, about no, exactly 2.1% of the fund in FTT tokens, of which just over two-thirds were at our custody at Coinbase Prime. We used three custodians for the fund. Uh, Fidelity, digital assets uh, being the main one for our ETH and our, uh, and our BTC, and then Coinbase Prime and uh, Gemini. And Gemini, we've never used the EARN program either, which is some is being questioned as well with the Genesis uh, issue. Um, so we decided straight away, let's get uh, what we can get off school st- cold storage and, uh, and, and, and sell this. And then the question, you only had two exchanges you can sell it to, you know, FTX itself and, uh, and Binance. Of course, we did not send them to FTX because that, that was the, 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 the counterparty that was being questioned, right? That was being uh, doubted on, on how, the, how solid their balance sheet was. Actually, it was Alameda, but Alameda and, and FTX in the other day, <laughs> it shows that they're, they're very similar, right? So uh, we started the process, um, as you know, uh, taking cold storage out. It takes uh, uh, about a day. So we were able to complete the whole process by Monday morning. And we got our assets uh, by midday morning, uh, by midday uh, on November 7th. And we sold them straight away at uh, just around $22.5. Um, so just over two-thirds position. Why? Where we could not sell the remaining position because we had the, the remaining tokens which was corresponded to 0.6% of the fund um, at uh, uh, FTX. And they were staked and then staking period for those are 15 days. Mm. So there, so that's, that's why we didn't uh, uh, sell everything because if not, we would have sold everything. So we sold uh, basically what we could and look, and within 48 hours, these tokens were trading around two and a half bucks. So we recuperated, let's say we, we saved you know, 90%. If we had uh, way, wasted one day, we would have probably lost you know, uh, this, this whole difference. So we were able to save quite a bit of the exposure we had uh, with FTT tokens, which was never a relevant exposure. You know, 2.1% of a fund is not significant. And it was the best performing token in 2022 until that day. It was the token that fell the least you know, of the larger protocols. Uh, was it really? Was was it yeah, really? It was like 30 it was down like 35, 40%, while you know, Bitcoin is down 60, ETH is yeah. down whatever, 65, 70. So it was actually our best performing token uh, that year. But um, so it was a smaller position that grew since the other positions fell, fell more, right? Uh, fell more than that. So uh, we're always doing the allocation uh, that way. Uh, so, and then, uh, well, when things got even worse, uh, we basically sold the remaining for FTX and paid, you had to pay like a 10% fee to unstake quicker. 
which in hindsight we should have done, but we never thought FTX would actually fail, and not that quickly, not within like 72 hours. Uh, so we sold the remaining at a, at a, at a lower price, and that's stuck there uh, in FTX today, and today, and will be stuck there for quite a bit. That represented 0.10% of the fund's assets, so 10 basis points, which, you know, in hindsight, it was a great outcome because what we have seen from a lot of our funds in Brazil and offshore and other funds that were not our funds, that they are famous funds out of the U.S., you know, that lost, you know, 50%. Of the assets in, in FTX, I, I don't. I'd rather not name names here. Uh, I, we never talk uh, badly, uh, poorly about any uh, uh, other funds. Uh, quite on the contrary, we try to be supportive, uh, especially in these times. But as as people know in the media, a lot of people got really, really burned because they had you know 10, 15, 20, 30, 50 percent of exposure in FTX, which was a huge counterparty, and uh, and we have a very strict limit uh, with counterparties, so we can never have except for Coinbase, which is slightly higher, we have a 2.5% maximum limit on our exchanges. We're only trade with six exchanges, all in the US and Europe, the big, the big names. And we can have, a, and usually we trade and take the, the funds out. And sometimes we leave, like this time, we had 0.6% you know, of the fund in one, because this is a 24 7 market, so we need to trade. We're an active, long-only fund, so we need to trade over the weekends. Luckily, we could trade over, over that weekend. Um, but our exposure will never be huge because if we take a full hit, we will lose two and a half percent of the fund on an exchange if it gets hacked or something like you know disasters like this happen. So I think uh, uh, Alexander and myself we're both you know, treasures uh, in the from the past from judicial finance. So I think we know well how to deal with you know counterparty risk limits and so on. We're super super uh, strict on that, and that's the reason we suffered suffered much less than than a lot of our, uh, our peers. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, this risk management question has just been one that keeps coming up just over and over again over the course of this year, right? And I think what you guys are doing seems pretty prudent where it's like, okay, we're putting a, a hard cap on just how much we'll keep on an exchange at a given point in time. Someone else kind of referenced this, but was, I guess it's an old Andreas Antonopoulos quote. You know, exchanges are they're like public bathrooms. Like you go in, you do your thing, and then you get out. You, you know? get out. <laughs> I was like, that's a great analogy. That's a great way to think about it. Fantastic. I love, I love, I love Andreas and, and this is, is great. It's exactly. There's no reason for you to, to run risk. And there's no reason also to be greedy in this ecosystem. What do I mean by greedy? You know, why lend to BlockFi? Why lend your assets to you know, Gemini Earn that ends up going to Genesis or to Celsius, these guys, to earn you know, like 4 5 6% per annum more? On an asset that has 100% vol and has years that you know it goes down by 50, 70, 80%, and years that it goes up you know 20x, it makes zero sense for you to run this type of you know uh, counterparty risk because you have so little to gain and you can lose you know a ton of money in them. So this is something for us: leverage doesn't exist, options doesn't exist, and lending doesn't exist in our funds since day one. And this this is what sort of in the end of the day saves us. Of course, we lost money. This it's a very bad month because you know if BTC, all the tokens that we own, you know, fell you know 20, 25, 30 percent prices this year. But that that can, we can recuperate when you know the winter's over. It's probably going to stand itself for some long period of time. But we've seen this so many you know 50 plus drawdowns in this market in the last you know uh, 14 years since the market started with Bitcoin that 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 we can we can stomach. What we right. cannot stomach is, you know, to lose a bunch of money because the coins we're seeing in a shitty uh, counterparty that we lent uh, our, our stuff to, to a counterparty that went belly up and stuff like that. That we cannot afford because then you can, don't recuperate. So, yeah. Yeah. There, there's, yeah. I mean, you've got, you've got basically no recourse in that. I mean, yeah, you can, especially if you're a smaller, you know, a retail investor, maybe you had fifteen, twenty thousand $20,000 sitting on BlockFi or something and they they go under. I mean, you're not going to be hiring a bankruptcy attorney to like get that back or, you know, like you don't have them. It's not even worth your time. You just cut your losses and run at that point and like hope you yep. get it. five years down the line. Once the mess is sorted out and the lawyers figure everything out, maybe you get like a small haircut of that in return or something, but you just got to cut your losses and, and go to the next thing, I guess. Just learn your lesson the hard way, I suppose. Yeah. And look at, look at Mount Gox. Mount Gox is, uh, happened in 2014. If you call, so that's eight years. Creditors yeah. still, still haven't have received yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd be shocked if FTX takes any like less time than that to sort out. Just given, I mean, Mount Gox was just a single entity, right? It was, it was a badly run entity, but it was a single like 
FTX is this web of, you know, 140 different like shell companies spread out around the world. And like, like who even like, I mean, you got to kind of feel sorry for this Enron guy that took the thing over. He's got a lot of work. At what point, I mean, if you're in a position like that, you're like, you're, I, I mean, I, I assume he's getting compensated very highly, but like at some point you got to be like, Man, the money's just not worth it. You know, it's, it's, it's like endless headaches. Why did, it, why did I take this headache? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, I guess uh, I guess they like this type of stuff. Uh, the more complex, the I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like, hey, like somebody's got to do it, right? I mean, if he's the man for the job, then um, the, the, the only but, advantage is I think I've chapter eleven bankruptcy in the US. The process should be quicker than I think, you know, bankruptcy in, in Japan. But uh, it's a much more complex, like you said. So who knows how long this is going to take, and and what they'll be able to recuperate. Since since a lot of money apparently went to to the Democrats in the U.S. and a lot of money went to to naming you know uh, FTX Arena and other uh, other sponsorships that they did. So that that money is not coming back. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it appears that that um, you know the money just it came in and it just went out, right? Like, I'm actually going to try to do a podcast, you know, next week with a Brazilian guy actually from Coin Metrics who just posted a thread yesterday where he did a whole kind of on-chain analysis. Like, okay, this is we we kind of mapped out all these Alameda and FTX wallets and all these transactions, and he was like, look, like these guys have these guys have probably been broke since like before Luna even collapsed, and like you know, just based on the, on the on-chain activity. I mean, they were, I mean, they were basically sending, you know, you know, millions and billions of funds to all these different things like cross-chain bridges and like basically every like kind of cross-chain ecosystem. They probably lost a lot of money just in like bridge hacks and things like that. seems like these guys were not as good at traders as they portray themselves to be either. I mean, if you're, if you're losing this level of money and just, just getting wiped out on leverage constantly, like with that big of a hole. So my point is like, it looks like, there were like the, the customer deposits uh, were just, they were coming in and they were just going straight out to like either Amazing. speculating on this other stuff or at the end, at the end, you know, back when, you know, the, the week that you were just describing there, like the customer deposits were going to probably propping, trying to prop up the price of FTT on Binance before it finally collapsed, like trying to support that like $22 level or whatever it was. There was nothing like there was, <laughs> but I want to talk a bit about more about the, um, what are some lessons that, people can extrapolate here just from kind of the fund manager perspective on this. And obviously, you know, you and your partners have been, you know, you're pretty seasoned on this. You come from like a treasurer background where like, okay, like risk management's the name of the game. Otherwise we're going to get cooked here. Um, and then there's a lot of other funds that were, you know, frankly, like pretty big names in the industry that, you know, that got wrecked. Right. Um, that were, you know, frankly, pretty surprising to see. I mean, some were not surprising. Others were very surprising to see. I mean, I would love to see somebody run an experiment of, um, you know, just comparing like the ROI of some of these funds, right? Because at, at the end of last year, it's like everybody had their own crypto fund set up, right? It was like kind of this thing that, you know, just everybody's setting up their own funds now because we're all rich. But like, I would love somebody to just compare, you know, since like start of 2020, for example, the ROI of these funds versus just like, DCAing into like dollar cost averaging into like Bitcoin and Ethereum over that same like amount of time. Like who's actually up in that in that instance, you know, versus some of these funds that you see um, you know, in the, you know, in the in the news or in, you know, kind of crypto media, crypto celebrity type uh settings, right? Um I mean, I mean, what are the what are some of the lessons that, you know, this this world of like crypto funds needs kind of needs to take away from from some of this, whether it's in regarding to like investing in these types of uh, platforms or just, you know, using these types of platforms for uh, yield generation and, and like custodying their funds and things like that. Okay. Uh, I would start with, first of all, I think when any individual or, or institution decides to invest in crypto to do their homework, right? Uh, if it's a fund, uh, uh, investigate a lot of what the fund mandate can do and cannot do. You know, if it can stake, if it cannot, if it can land, just analyze exactly the mandate of the fund. Uh, another thing that I would tell to anybody looking into the industry, you know, uh, don't go in when it's FOMO. <laughs> it's better to go in when there's actually fun. Because on FOMO, you're buying the top of the market. And on FUD, you, you might be buying close to the bottom. You never know. Nobody has a crystal ball to know when where the bottom is or where the top is. But uh, in general, we've seen now, um, after these two crypto winners that everybody that came in on the FOMO actually is losing money 
And everybody who came in the flood, which was you know end of 2018, early 2019, made a hell of a lot of money. And 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 some of this our smart LPs, they actually uh, uh, redeemed uh, uh, end of last year. So we're we're BTC somewhere above even 60k equivalent. Uh, we're not a BTC fund; we're an active uh, managed uh, long only fund with about 15 assets. Uh, but just as equivalent basis, because everything moves more or less the same, with of course different betas. And some stuff moves, you know, opposite. Like Luna went to zero. Lucky we never owned any Luna uh, in the fund. But I think that's also I think important message. Uh, another important message is you know don't invest more than you can afford to lose. You know this is still a very high risk uh, uh, metric. For people who are doing this by themselves, you know, uh, let's call them newbies or they're starting the industry, you know. Uh, you can do it by yourself, not a problem. Uh, be very careful with all the altcoins because there's a lot of, there's some good altcoins, but there's a lot of shit coins out there. So just be very diligent. Again, don't go into the FOMO coins because that's usually where you get uh, mostly hit. Second, uh, pick very well who you're trading, who your counterparty is. Yeah, so if it's you know yeah, a Brazilian exchange or an offshore exchange uh, abroad, doesn't matter. Just check check their background, see uh, see you know how long they've been in the industry, you know what issues they had in the past before you traded them. Well, deciding that and you have traded uh, where you want you bought your assets where you want it, just remove them from exchange. No matter who is the exchange, do not leave your assets in hot wallets. And I think that is the biggest lessons, and that we've seen clearly on chain over the last couple of weeks. You know, with the biggest outflow of you know, uh, in the order of three to four billion dollars out of exchanges into in, into uh, wallets. Uh, and we saw that Ledger, one of the you know, hard wallet providers, had their biggest uh, sale of uh, of Ledgers last week, you know, given this demand of people finally you know, taking care of uh, their own custody. You know, self-custody in the space is very important. It's not easy. You know, uh, whoever does that with a Trezor or a Ledger or any other you know, uh, device that they feel comfortable with, you know, make sure you protect your your your, your seed words very well because you're the or you're in the bank and you're your own custodian, you're everything. If you do it properly, you're not gonna have issues. But you know, uh, I tell some people, okay, so I had one LP in the office today, we were helping him with uh, to remove some coins from an exchange, uh, just uh, well, he never did self uh, custody. Uh, so we got him a, a ledger and he came uh, at lunchtime we sat and explained this what you do, you know these 24 words, okay, so, so I need these 24 seed words together with my ledger. Say, no, 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 please don't do that because if your house burns or whatever, you put this thing, you're gone. It's all gone forever. So, you know, keep things separate. Keep a ledger in one safe place. You know, keep your seed words in two different places, not all not all the 24 words, one in all these things. So we, we're trying to teach people who are doing on their own, that invest with us and they're doing it also on their own you know, to really, really do it properly, you know, uh, not just even if you do it properly, you know, somebody has to know that you've done that because if, you know something happened to you. We we only know two things and uh, two certainties in uh, in life: death and taxes. Right? That's the only thing we're certain. The rest we don't know what's going to happen. So everybody in the end of the day, not in the end of the day, not today, but someday will will die. If somebody doesn't know, you know, that you have these assets of uh, doing self custody of these assets, these these assets will not be found by anybody else. So make sure. That somebody uh, of your uh, confidence, your wife, your kid, uh, whoever you know, knows how to get this back in case you're no longer here. So all these things, you know, and I think Andreas Antonopoulos does a fantastic you know, uh, explanation that in his videos and his mastering Bitcoin book, mastering Ethereum book, and so on. You know, about the, all these steps, and I think this is the biggest lesson. And I think finally, people are really taking this seriously. Uh, it's about time because um, we've seen so many had. Right when I got into the ecosystem, BitPhoenix was hacked. Uh, literally three months later, I think it was August 2016. You know, it was and they were the biggest exchange at the time. You know, bigger than Coinbase at the time. FTX didn't exist. Binance didn't exist at the time. I think BitMEX existed, but there was very few uh, players out there. And you've seen, you know, many, many going out of they recuperated, but many others went out of business. Uh, and this is going to happen uh, more more times, unfortunately until this whole ecosystem further develops. We're still in infancy. That's why we're still super bullish on the space, but you, you gotta do it you know, very properly and very carefully. Don't, don't, don't go out there doing crazy stuff and, and read and study and you know, feel free to, to reach out to us. Uh, we are, we're here to 
try to educate uh, everybody on how to you know take care of uh, their addresses if they're doing by themselves. So that's, like that's something to keep us. I'd like to dive in a bit more into just like the reaction of your LPs and, uh, and, and not even just your LPs maybe, but like you have a pretty big network of, you know, across like TradFi and also crypto folks in Brazil. And, you, you know, you're dealing with a lot of, you know, uh, institutional investors and higher, higher net worth people, et cetera. And would you be curious to get your sense, like how would you describe the sentiment amongst your clients and your LPs and even, maybe, uh, you know, just kind of colleagues of yours, maybe your TradFi era who are, they come to you as like the Bitcoin guy, right? Like for advice on Bitcoin, but like, I mean, what type of, of sentiment or what type of questions are people uh, uh, coming to you with right now? Uh, in general, it's a little bit of skepticism, you know, how much damage has been done to the industry? And, and I think this is a six month setback or something around there. Um, uh, the thing is that nobody's, Upset or pissed off at us. They actually say quite wow, because he's did amazing well. You know, if on the interviews I give to Valor and, and Vesha, I mean, the amount of, of people saying, wow, you guys acted really well, congrats. Uh, you say, you know, you did what you could do, uh, we understand and purpose. So we didn't get any redemptions uh, from the high net worth uh, individuals. From retail, it's every day is uh, small subscriptions, small redemptions. So we don't know who the retail investor is because. We're distributed by 18 different uh, you know, uh, of these you know, uh, distributors in, in Brazil. Uh, so it's hard to tell uh, what they're feeding. Uh, but in general, uh, so it's like, a, you know, it's a shame. It's sad what has happened. But we, we haven't seen people, okay, this is the end. I'm going to redeem. I'm going to ask for redemption and give up in the space. Quite to, Actually, quite on the contrary, some of the guys who got out, Really well, end of last year, which I mentioned before, they're thinking now, okay, maybe it's time to get in. It's like I said, you know, don't come in on the formal, come in on the fun. Uh, they have not yet pulled the trigger either, uh, but they're thinking, okay, this could be the capitulation, and uh, I still want to have exposure here. I have zero exposure now, so it's a, it's a much better entry point than, you know, whatever, 16, 16 and a half K equivalent Bitcoin, you know, 1.2 K, whatever, ETH, et cetera. Uh, then, you know, uh, 69K BTC or 5K almost uh, ETH and, and so on and so on. So we're, we're starting to see people, let's see, uh, some people, some of the more, these are more trader type guys, but they're they're big uh, with that sense rather than the guy, okay, the opposite. I'm just going to uh, redeem. I don't trust anybody where I want to get out with whatever I have left over. So in general, I see that as, more positive uh, uh, than actually uh, negative. Yeah, as the fact that people aren't running for the exits and and like rage quitting or whatever. Like I'm I'm done with this. You know, like I'm this whole thing. Yeah. Like I can't take this anymore. Like I'm out of this. Um, that's yeah. encouraging itself. That 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 the people that have kind of weathered the storm with you are. They're like, okay, like we're we're in it for the long haul. Um, and one more thing, just to add into that, sure. we are also super super conservative when we market the fund. We tell people, you know. Just put a tiny little bit of money. So, and they all put a tiny little bit of money, right? Some even less than one percent, and I think one percent is like the minimum you can put. But some even less. So, mm -hmm. if it goes to zero, it's not going to do a single thing for their, you know, overall uh, net worth. It's peanuts. Uh, so, I think uh, it's important for whoever you know starting new funds, etc. Don't be aggressive. Let let the client, you know, uh, decide, take his time to decide if he wants to invest, how much he wants to invest. Don't say, you know, it should be a 10% location, whatever. Just let him do it and be conservative because when things don't go wrong, he's not going to complain to you. He's, he's got to com complain to himself. Well, I shouldn't even put 1%. But uh, it was his decision. It was, you, you did not force that upon him. Uh, so I think that's also very important, you know. Sure, sure. Um and then one other thing I wanted to just touch on, I want to actually go back to um, when you were, you woke up on, on uh, you know, the morning of the sixth and you saw the CZ tweet and you were kind of like, okay, maybe this doesn't smell right. Um, I would love to kind of get a bit more insight into like just the psychology of like what happened in the, you know, your war room with your colleagues on the investment committee where, um, you know, it, I feel like it, this is kind of like, there, there's it's like there's fire drills and there's fires you know and sometimes it's like you don't necessarily always know the difference you know like here in where i live in, in the u.s it's like we get you know they test like tornado sirens every couple yeah. of weeks right and like like okay is this like 
a siren or is this just like a warning or, or is this like um or is this like an actual tornado or is this just them testing right and this yeah. you know i think you know yourself and probably everyone else who saw that tweet who had exposure to ftt was probably like you know wait a minute like is this something that i should be concerned about like maybe what, what was it that maybe moved you over from okay maybe this is just cz just being cz and tweeting stuff versus like <laughs> you know, okay, this is a fire drill. Like this is an actual, this isn't a drill. Like we have to, we have to like, we got to do something here. Yeah. So uh, we had very little to lose. What do I mean by that? We had, it was the best performing asset of the year. So why not take some profits? You know, if usually when there's smoke, there's fire, but not, not, not always, especially for the tweeter, right? Like you said, you cannot treat, if you're trust anything for the tweeter, you're going to go broke because there's so much fun. There's so much fake news, et cetera. So we've got to be very careful. But we said there's very little downside for us to, to make a move. And it was the first thing is to, is to make uh, the assets uh, uh, liquid, right? Get them on an exchange to be able to sell them. Uh, and what caused, you know, what made us 100% sure that we had to sell is when, when the uh, um, when the treasurer from, FTA, from Alameda said, uh, we have a firm bid, CZ, we have a firm bid for you to sell the 500 million. And that's a very bad sign. Whoever gives says that in any market is just is asking for trouble. And that was exactly what happened on Monday evening. This thing was just already testing that level, and then it broke, and then it was just. This, was, this was when she said she was saying like, "Oh, I'll buy everything you have at twenty two dollars." Exactly, and then that became kind of like the that was the signal. We, yeah, we didn't even wait for that. I, I forgot what time that came. I think it came on the Monday afternoon. We sold the assets before because we had. Very little to lose. What was the best case scenario? It was all smoke. It was no fire. And FTT would come back up to 20, up 10% to 25, 26. Okay, so we lost 10% on 1.6% of the assets that we sold. It's, it's irrelevant. But uh, the the other part was like, oh, we didn't do anything. We just wait and see if it was something true. That that would have hurt us more psychologically. Again, it wasn't it wasn't a huge hit, even if the whole you know, 2.1% entities went to zero, we can sell anything. It's not the end of the world, but uh, it wouldn't have shown, you know, a prudent fiduciary duty to our clients. So when we see something that does not smell right, we have a feeling, we said, just, just get out. And then yeah. uh, we'll see. Uh, and we can back in. We can always buy back. And that's that, that's very easy, right? So yeah. we, we again, we're super conservative on everything, running the fund and and so on. And then that, that's, that, that, those were all the things that made us... Uh, move and behave that way very uh, luckily, very quickly. So I have one last uh, kind of an outlier question for you. Um, but I've been thinking a lot lately about like, does the idea of an exchange having its own token, even, is this even a good idea? Does this even like make sense as a, like I, I rest, I mean, I get it like with, with BNB, you, you, you have these, you know, if you hold BNB, you get certain discounts on the exchange on trading fees and things of this nature. But it, I just, I, I fail to understand like the value proposition for why these things need to exist <laughs> or like, why, why should they exist? Why should people be buying them? I guess. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping, you know, somebody smarter than myself, like, like you could maybe, you know, shed light on that or, or would love your thoughts on like, like what yeah, is so the value of these things? We did analyze BNB various times in the fund and we never bought them. In hindsight, we should have bought them. Because they went up from like twenty bucks to three hundred bucks there, whatever two hundred something, whatever. Uh, so it was actually a very good performing asset, which uh, we never had. Why did we never have any BNB on, on the token uh, on the fund? Um, purely because we were never comfortable with Binance due to CZ's anti-regulation, anti. He never knew where he was, where he was. You know, uh, Binance was jumping from one jurisdiction to another. And that never felt comfortable for us to have you know, a core position in the token, even though it did extremely well uh, over the last uh, few years. Uh, FTT did something similar, right? Because you did also get uh, uh, these uh, rebates, et cetera, uh, you know, withdrawal fees, all that. that. Uh, but we thought the FTX token, uh, the FTT tokens, being part of FTX, which was you know, at exposure in so many things, could be it could be interesting to have a small percentage. Uh, not that you own the equity of the other stuff, but uh, when we saw what BNB was used for through time, so it became you know minus smart chain, which was not the case in the beginning when BNB was large. So we thought maybe FTT 
uh, would go on that line and it would be a, a good performing uh, token through time. So uh, that's why we invested uh, a small amount and, uh, and in the end of the day, it didn't work. So it's tough, and clearly, I think this is going to be even tougher now for future exchanges. That are I think Bitnex announced last week that they were doing there. Uh, we don't, we never traded with Bitnex, Bitnex either. Never opened an account with them, but they are apparently doing their own token. But that's going to be questionable. And one thing is clear: you know, you cannot take leverage from if your counterpart like the X and you give the tokens. It's just too much. It's too correlated to each other. So nobody should give. FTX leverage on FTT token. That's like crazy. You know, it's like it's like in the old days of as we're Brazilians in emerging markets, you know, a Brazilian bank could never sell CDS, Brazil CDS to a, 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 a US counterparty, European counterparty, right? Because it's it's correlated risk. If Brazil goes up, probably the counterparty in Brazil will go will, will blow up as well. So it's the sort of same thing. So I think it was very bad mismanagement by these CFI counterparties that did this crazy stuff and just took leverage you know, with anything. And you can use you know, examples of uh, not even correlated, but illiquid stuff you know, uh, with uh, with um, uh, 3C uh, taking you know, uh, avalanche tokens and leverage up the Wahoo. You know, and there's no exit though when the, the doors is very small for these uh, smaller tokens. So. You know, whoever gives leverage should just use. You know, first of all, I don't recommend leverage in the uh, in the space. It's just and there's enough volatility that that it's uh, more than fun. You know? it's for your stomach uh, to handle. So just don't do any leverage and see by platforms. Please don't do crazy leverage like you know like like this because you're gonna get into trouble sometime sooner or later. And we're seeing all that unfold right now. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting just that how all these CFI or these CDFI or however they want to market themselves, these all these platforms basically have, you know, over the last six seven months have basically gone under, right? Whether it's from Celsius to BlockFi to Voyager, even the Gemini Urn, um, you know, basically all these things that I mean, the only one that's still alive is Nexo, um, yeah. which I mean, I don't have any inside information on Nexo, but like you know. I've had people like say to me that like, this is kind of sketchy. I, I mean, I don't know, but like, I mean, it's, I've used it before. It like, it's a nice product, but like they're still alive. Um, I've, you know, but all these other things have just kind of like gone one after the other and, you know, to what extent, are, yeah. It's like, is it really worth risking, you know, having your funds trapped on one of these things to get like 4% yield on your Bitcoin? You no know? way. And, no way. Yeah, you know, it's 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 one of these things where it's like you get greedy and like, okay, this is a nice user experience and it's really easy and I don't have to like, you know, deal with like a clunky hard wallet or whatever. But um, at the end of the day, it's like it's so it's it's just super risky, right? Because super risky, and, and people don't know these risks. There's no free lunch, right? There's no free lunch, but people think it's free lunch. Okay, I, I can earn dollar twenty percent of dollars with UST. Oh, fantastic! And then just get absolutely obliterated. Uh, it makes absolutely no sense to 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 run these uh, yield enhancing uh, products uh, because you uh, unfortunately a lot of these guys don't have you know they don't show your balance sheet so you don't know what's behind it uh, and so on so the good thing at the end of the day I think to uh, from a final thoughts from my side is like DeFi worked you know the, the the technology works what didn't work was CFI you know the 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 CFI players did a sloppy job and and, and that. It puts the whole industry back, you know, maybe six months. But but the decentralized finance, the protocols had to do their stuff. They did what they had to do. You know, Ethereum yeah. work, uh, you know, the DEXs uh, work uh, 100%. So the tech works. Uh, yeah. But it's, uh, the, the human error and the human greed uh, created a lot of these uh, these unfortunate uh, issues. Yeah, yeah, I, I concur. Uh, I mean, I, I have my my qualms with DeFi as well, but I, I fully concur with the, like you know the thesis of what you're saying here is that this you know it's it's the human it's the human nature of trying to just you know you're you're trying to concoct things you're trying to uh, you get yourself into a hole and you're trying to like you know lever up or like you know you know just, like just do even crazier things to get out of the hole and you end up even deeper hole. And like, it's not transparent. If it's not visible, like your customers don't know what's going on, then you're kind of protected until, you know, until yeah. the stops anyway, because nobody knows what you're doing. So, exactly. Um, well, anyway, like just, I guess, you know, final thought, but like, what do you see happening over the next, you know, before the end of the year, like in the broader market? I mean, it looks like we might be getting some regulation being passed in Brazil, which is nice. Um, 
But as far as like just, you know, generally across the market, whether uh, Brazil or otherwise, how what do you what do you expect to see? So uh, I just was reading before our conversation now uh, that apparently on next Tuesday, the 29th, uh, the Cabinet Deputados will, will, will vote. Uh, so I think uh, this whole FTX, I think hopefully we put some pressure, you know, because it was supposed to be voted prior to the election, but the whole election thing, it was postponed. Then people thought it was going to, you know, this is going to drag into 2023. But now it looks like it's going to happen uh, next week, which is a good thing. I, I see Brazilian legislators you know, quite positive on, on, on continuing you know, having this technology moving it forward. Um, so I'm glad that this looks to be going uh, to, to vote uh, uh, next week. Uh, Brazil, I think, different than the, the U.S. I mean, it's quite clear that the Central Bank of Brazil will be, you know, the regulator. And uh, luckily, we have a Central Bank president that's that's very friendly to technology, that is not against this at all, to Campos, you know, likes the technology. He's not against it. He just wants to make sure people you know, are not selling crappy products, not, not uh, and so on and so on. So, uh uh, that's very good. Uh, in the U.S., I'm a little bit more worried because there's a constant fight uh, from Gary Gensler and SEC, which has been very quiet since this whole issue. So, so I'm very curious, you know, his involvement, his uh, relationships with FTX uh, uh, recently, uh, his meetings, you know, when back in March this year and so on. Uh, but the, the big fight of the SEC and the CFTC, you know, who's going to govern, is the security tokens, and what are security tokens, what are not, I think that's still very unclear. I do believe this is going to move forward a little bit quicker uh, because I think the U.S. regulation is still on top of the wall and we need uh, more clarity there in order to you know, regain the confidence of uh, institutional and retail investors uh, going forward. The, the rules of the, have to be you know, set in stone so people know what they're doing and, and we avoid you know, any bad, uh, future bad actors in the industry so we can, uh, we can move forward. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm personally more more bullish on Brazil than the U.S. for the reasons you just described. Um, I mean, it's just getting, you know, despite the the calls for more, we like everyone's been calling for clarity for five years now, and it's like it just keeps getting murkier and murkier. And there's all these kind of political dynamics and things. And um, you know, I think you know, with with Republicans taking the House, uh, you know, they're going to have you know they're going to bring Gensler in, they're going to interrogate him, all these things. So, I mean, that might be the one positive thing that comes out of this whole FTX affair <laughs> is that yeah. these, these SBF Gensler like backroom dealings are, are kind of getting yeah. exposed. And that, that, that's the only positive thing I can think of aside from maybe encouraging more people to self-custody and things like that. But, um, but anyways, um, well, well, really great to have you on Axel. Um, this has been a long time coming, but really glad to be able to get you on here and really appreciate your insights dear. So I'd love to have you back on here again soon. Thanks, sir. And hopefully on a, on a, on a more positive uh, market, but I uh, appreciate the opportunity. And then VLP uh, can always uh, be available to, to, to talk uh, in the future. So it has been a pleasure and an honor. Great. And thanks everyone for listening. And we'll be back soon with another great episode. Obrigado, everyone. And thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the Brazil Crypto Report newsletter on Substack if you haven't already. And please do give the show a five-star rating on your podcast app if you enjoyed this content. We'll be back soon with another great guest.